letter trying to really listen and get everything out of it. So if you would, just as little moving around, as little talking as possible. And let's just give God our best ear tonight and really give him our focus. Amen. All right. So, Father, we pray over the word of the Lord tonight. And we love the word. And, Lord, I ask you tonight, Lord, that you'll come upon me and speak through me under the anointing. And, Lord, that the, the word of God will go out. Lord, as living seeds of truth. Jesus talked about the parable of the seed and the sower. That your word will go out as living seeds of truth that are sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. And this will be watered by the Holy Spirit. And these seeds in people's lives of truth will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let your word be as a light shining that will dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy. And bring truth. Lord, let your word go out as a hammer that's going to break down every stronghold. Let it go out as the washing of the water of the word to cleanse people. And, Father, we pray it's just by the the precious Holy Spirit, the winds of the Spirit will carry this everywhere it's supposed to go. And let your mighty angels watch over. And, Lord, we, we realize that you said in the word that the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So we bind up any spirit, anything that would try to hinder and come against the word of God that would try to uh, steal the seed in any way. We bind it now in the name of Jesus. We break the power of it. And so, Lord, we thank you that your word says that your word will not return void, but go forward and accomplish that which you sent it for to do. So we ask you, Lord, tonight that everything be accomplished in and through this word, that your will to be done in every life. Lord, that you would anoint eyes and ears. Give us eyes and ears of the Spirit to see and to hear and understand what God wants us to. And we thank you, Lord. Let the Holy Spirit just brood over and just literally just help everybody give, give God their best ear and full attention to lock in tonight and not be distracted. So, Lord, we thank you for it now in Jesus' mighty name. All right. Well, I've been dealing with a series that I entitled Mikdash because in Hebrew that means sanctuary. And in this series I've been dealing with how... In modern culture, it seems like that years ago, when I was growing up, my parents raised us in church. Of course, I was away from God in my teenage years and early adult life. But thankfully, my parents prayed and and I got things right with God. But growing up in church, there was a mentality that the sanctuary was a holy place. It was a place that you, you know, where God's presence was, where God would move, and, and there needed to be like a respect. And, and today, one of the many things I'm seeing is that that honor and that respect toward the sanctuary has diminished. And what you see more of now is the attitude that this is not really a sanctuary, but rather an auditorium, and an auditorium where entertainment takes place. And so that's something that has really changed in the body. And we need to get back to the Word of God where um, it talks about that it's a holy place and God's presence is there. And there's a reverence about the presence of God, a reverence about Him meeting with His people and all that. So that's something that was really on my heart when I wrote out this series. And so one of the things I'm going to deal with, this is actually part seven, so I apologize for that typo. We'll get that fixed before we get on the Internet. But I'm going to deal with mixtures tonight. And so the first thing I want to read is just a couple scriptures here right off. But Ezekiel 22, verse 26. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. They have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. Now this was leaders. This was leaders among God's people that we're not teaching God's people the difference between the holy and the profane, okay? And so this was a problem. And I'm going to tell you that I still see that today, that there's, there's an issue there where many times leaders refuse to teach the difference between what is holy and profane, between light and darkness. The second scripture I want to read is Deuteronomy 22, verse 9. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed. Now, this is really interesting in the Bible that God gives us this pattern. Of all the produce of the seed, 
which you have sown, and the increase of the vineyard will become defiled. So God said, do not plant two kinds of seed together. Keep it separate. In other words, if you have corn and wheat, don't plant them together. Have two different fields. Leviticus 19.19, you are to keep my statutes. You shall not breed two kinds of cattle. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor wear a garment of two kinds of material mixed together. There's a reason this is in the Bible that God is saying he does not want mixtures. And all of us know that if you take, you know, a horse and a donkey and breed them together, you get the mule, and a mule is sterile. And so bringing this now into the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawless? lawlessness or what fellowship as light and darkness or what harmony has christ in belial or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever or what agreement has the temple of god with idols for we are the temple the living god just as it said i will dwell in them and walk among them i will be their god and they shall be my people therefore come out from their midst and be separate that also can translate come out from among them and be separate says the lord do not touch what is unclean and i will welcome you and i will be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters says the lord then in first corinthians ten fourteen, therefore my beloved flee from idolatry i speak to you as wise men you judge what i say is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of christ is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of christ since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifice sharers in the altar? What do I mean then, that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which Gentiles sacrifice, he's talking about pagan temples. What Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And so this is an issue where Paul was addressing in his time that there was the temple. And then the temple, the people of God offered up sacrifices to the Lord. But in pagan temples... He was dealing with Gentiles here in this Gentile church. In the pagan temples, they offered up sacrifices to demons. And Paul was saying that you can't mix the two. You can't go to a pagan temple and offer up some kind of sacrifice to demon gods and then come into God's house and worship him. You're going to have to choose. In 1 Corinthians 5, 3, For I, on my part, though absent in body... Now, this was an issue where Paul was having a deal with some problems in a local church at Corinth. That there was a man that was living in unrepentant sexual immorality, and so Paul had to bring judgment upon him. He said, For I on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven. This is a reference to Passover. So that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore let us celebrate the feast and he's referring to Passover. Not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So you see here in both the Old and the New Testament that God has always had a problem with ungodly mixtures. I was thinking about the story. You know, many are familiar with the Hanukkah story. I was thinking about this story that a lot of Christians are not really as familiar as they need to be with it because there wouldn't be a Christmas if we didn't have this happen in the first place. But back, you know, little under 200 years before Jesus came, 
there was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. He was just basically an evil king. And he hated God's people. He hated the temple. And he goes in there and he sacrifices a pig on the altar to defile the altar. And he sets up an idol in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And he begins to make it illegal for God's people to read the Bible and pray and go to church, things like that. He really began to persecute. And there were some priestly men of God that loved God and they weren't going to put up with it. Now, how many knows that if they wanted to, they could have gone along with what was taking place. And if they really wanted to, they could have still accepted sacrifices to the one true God, but also accepted these pagan sacrifices. If they wanted to, they could have left the Ark of the Covenant, obviously in the Holy of Holies there, but that idol was there also. And they could have tried to create some kind of mixture to, to appease the king and try to go along with that. But they knew that God would never accept that. And so they began to buck up against this evil king. And even though they were small in number, they prayed and they sought God. And they began to, to form like a little military. And it was ridiculously small, kind of like Gideon's victory. And they began to come up against this king. And you have to understand, at this time, the two greatest military powers were Syria and Egypt. And Syria, they were the ones coming up against Israel in this little ragtag army that it was absolutely a miracle that they rose up and began to drive back this military force. And eventually, as they drove them back, they were able to rededicate the temple. I said all that to say that God has always hated mixtures. And in the days of Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet, you can look this up, but God gave him visions. He, he was actually a Levite in his bloodline, and God gave him visions as a prophet and showed him the abominations that were in the temple. That even though they were burning incense to God, but there was also like an idol that incense was being burned to right in the temple. And you read about in Ezekiel that the result of long-term mixture like that was that the glory of the Lord began to depart from the temple. And Ezekiel records how it came up out of the Holy of Holies and moved to the holy place. And it stayed there for a moment. It was almost like the Holy Spirit was waiting to see if they'll repent. And then it moves from the holy place to the outer court. And then eventually the glory altogether left. I believe that one of the reasons why there's a lack of the glory of the Lord among God's people is because there's an allowing of mixtures that's taking place. In James 3.13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior, his deeds in gentleness and wisdom. But look at this. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom is not that which comes from above, but look at this. But it is worldly, it is natural, and it is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. In 1 Corinthians 2.11, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received... Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is of God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. I'm going to come back to those scriptures here in a moment. But God has never been okay with mixture. Y'all hear what I'm saying? God's never been okay with it. And one of the reasons why I believe there's always been a glory in our midst here in River of Life is because I have never been okay with a mixture. God dealt with me about that years ago. I've never been okay with it, and we're not going to be okay with it in the future. But I'm concerned about some things I see in the greater body of Christ. And I'm going to show you a few things I want you to think about and pray about, because in the days to come, I want you to mark my words, because I feel as I pray, I sense like a rumbling. It's almost like the sound of chariots and horsemen. It's like a rumbling. It's like some kind of an earthquake of sorts. It's like there's in the spirit realm, God is beginning to move. There's a rumbling. It's almost like you can smell the rain before it gets here. You know, something's up. And God is about to open things up. 
And when he does, there's going to be a harvest that begins to come in. The Lord is about to say, cast a net on the other side of the boat. But as we, as we see that happen, and God gets us from this place to where we're going, and the harvest starts coming in, and God begins to move, there's one thing that regardless of who comes, how many comes, or what happens, this pastor will never be okay with mixtures. Now I want you to notice in the scripture that I just read above, it talks about um, the spirit of this present world. Rather in Second or First Corinthians 2, it talks about the spirit of this world. God has not given us the spirit of this world, but he's given us the spirit of God. Now I want you to notice something very important. Paul said the spirit of this world. I believe with all my heart that one of the strong men now, remember Jesus said that if you want to plunder the enemy, you have to bind the strong man. I believe that one of the strong men that has come over many churches has been a spirit of this world because worldliness has crept in and everybody's okay with it. And might I remind you, and I know that you know this, River of Life, in the book of James it says the love of the world is enmity with God. Those that choose to be a friend of the world become an enemy of God. And let me tell you something about the Lord. I talked about it last week. But God will never put up with this mixture in your heart. Jesus said, you'll either love me or you'll hate me. You'll either love one or two masters. Okay, you're going to love one and hate the other. Jesus said, you either are going to gather with me or you're going to sow abroad. There's no neutrality. There's no riding the fence with God. And there never has been. I remember reading years ago in Exodus chapter 20 where it talks about the Ten Commandments. The very first thing God burned in his, he took his finger and burned it into tablets of stone. The very first thing had to do with not worshiping other gods. But it surprised me that as it listed the Ten Commandments, it said that I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And I remember reading that thinking, well, just because somebody is disobedient doesn't necessarily mean they hate God. But in God's eyes, I'm telling you, you either love him or you hate him. There's not middle ground with God. Some people don't understand that. They think, and it's very unbiblical, and I promise you, you can't prove it in the Bible, but they think that there's some kind of gray area that God's okay with. That there's some kind of riding the fence that he'll tolerate. See, when revival comes, the very first thing God's going to do is start electrifying the fence. And it's going to cause people to jump on one side or the other. We've got too many people today that are trying to ride some kind of fence. They want to be in the world, but they also want to be a Christian. To be honest with you, biblically, it's impossible. You're either going to sell out with Jesus or nothing at all. And I'm going to tell you, in the book of Malachi, God never accepted these lame, pathetic, pitiful sacrifices... People, they began to get backslidden in Israel and they began to bring these sacrifices that were blind and lame and diseased. And God said that those sacrifices were an abomination to him. He never accepted that. Now I'm going to tell you, Jesus wants your whole life or nothing at all. You better choose this day who you're going to serve. Because the bottom line is, people come to church acting like they're doing God some kind of favor by being here. Are you kidding me? I mean, you realize how much of a joke that is in the eyes of God? But the spirit of this present world has become a strong man. There's been a mixture over the last decade or two that has crept into many churches where people are preaching the word of God, but it is a mixture with human earthly wisdom. There's a lot of quotes from other things, and I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but it's a mixture. It's watered down. You guys know as well as I do, if you put gasoline in your car and you put half gas and half water, what do you think is going to happen? There's a mixture. And I'm going to tell you something. Human wisdom, philosophies of men, quoting Aristotle, that type of thing, that's not going to save anybody. That's not going to change anybody. The only thing that's really, truly going to transform lives is the Word of God. 
But people think that they've got it figured out and they're smarter than the Bible and that they're going to try to make it palpable to people and they're going to water it down and try to fix everything. Listen, how about this? How about we just pray and then what God tells us we preach and we let him sort it out at the end of the day. Amen? I don't see Jesus being overly concerned with making anybody like him. When Jesus preached in John chapter 6, you know, he told it just exactly like it was, and people wanted to stone him. And then at the end of it, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Are you going to leave too? And Peter said, Well, to whom did we go? I mean, you have the words of life. But I promise you, if Peter and them had said, Well, we're offended too, and had a little tantrum and walked off, Jesus would have never chased after them and tried to get them back. He would have went on with the Father. Hello? There's also been a mixture in the anointing and the gifting. This grieves me. Let me try to explain it the best I can, but you're, we're created in the image of God, spirit, soul, and body. It's like God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's created us three in one. You're a spirit, soul, and a body. And it's interesting because when you read the Bible, I want you all to give me your best ear because it's a little bit difficult to explain, but I'm going to do my best. But your body, the Bible says, from your body was created up out of the dirt, out of the dust. From dust you came and from dust you will return. Okay? And your body is connected to this earth. And when the rapture happens, it's interesting that the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. And they're given glorified bodies. And those that are alive and remain, their bodies will be changed into a glorified body. But even though we go with the Lord to the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're coming back to this earth with a glorified body. Your human body is connected to this earth, so to speak. Does this make sense? All right, your soul area is your memory, your mind, your imagination, your personality, your emotions. This is the part of you that reasons and thinks. This is your soul, your human soul. That part of you, in the Bible, it says that we must renew our minds. That's the part of us that's got to be renewed. And God doesn't want us to have any type of deception, wrong beliefs, anything in our soul area. He doesn't want that to be defiled and polluted and believing all kinds of weird stuff. He wants our minds to be renewed with the Word of God. And He wants that our soul area to to really be cleansed by the word of God. Now, this is important because the soul area, everywhere you go, Satan has set up in the second heaven above us. The Bible says that we don't wage war with flesh and blood, but what? Against principalities and powers and wickedness in the heavenlies. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Principalities are fallen angels that rule over jurisdictions. They're over different areas. Over Dallas, I, I might be able to explain some tonight. It's, it's a strong man of religious witchcraft and all that. But if you go to different places, there's different strongholds uh, with, a, with a principality. For example, if you go to um, Las Vegas, for example, there's a strong man there. There's a principality that's there. And see, here's what happens. Over a region, you'll have that principality. It's a strong man. And under him, you've got these powers. And these power spirits, they go down from the second heaven down, and they're trying to influence the minds of men. That's why I believe it's 1 Corinthians 4, 4. Paul said that the God of this age, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And you'll see that as you go to different geographic regions, that people have begun to come into agreement with the prevailing spirit over their region. Their minds begin to think it's okay or it's normal to be like what they're around. But they're being influenced by the second heaven. Hello? And so these principalities and powers try to traffic in the area of the soul. They try to get people to believe wrong belief systems. They try to manipulate the minds of men and women. And it's a battleground. That's why the Apostle Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to God to the pulling down of strongholds, what bringing every thought captive. 
So we must renew our minds and we cannot come into agreement with the prevailing spirit that is over the region that we live. So your body seems to be connected with the earth, but your soul area tends to be influenced by the second heaven. Which I'm going to come back to that in a moment and explain about this stuff I mentioned. But your spirit, your human spirit is where the Holy Spirit, if you're a true Christian, not necessarily everybody that goes to church, hello, but if you're really a true Christian, born of God and the real deal, the Spirit of God lives in you. Where does the Spirit of God live? In your spirit. Now, because of the Holy Spirit being in your spirit, you have been made alive in Christ. Okay? And so your spirit is made alive, but God is wanting that your, what's in your spirit to begin, the Holy Spirit to begin to change you from the inside out. Let me say something very important. Religion tries to change people from the outside in, and it'll never work. But God will always change people from the inside out because he'll give you a new heart. But your human spirit, where the spirit of God dwells, there's a connection with your spirit and the spirit of God and the third heaven. Where God dwells. God is not wanting us to just get caught up with this second heaven alone, even though it's okay to discern things, we need to do that. But God wants our minds to be renewed with the word and that we're so in tune with the spirit. And let me tell you something that a, a lot of people need to learn this in the body. But the Bible says that those that are sons of God, that you are, con- it, the Greek says, continually led by the spirit. Let me say that again. The sons of God are continually led by the spirit. Now, you have to understand Hebrew culture. In this culture, there came a time when a young man would have a bar mitzvah, and from that point on, they were considered a man. They, were, you know, they went from an infant to, or a child, rather, to being considered a man. And Paul was saying that childish things need to be put behind us, but he was saying this. He was saying the sons of God. These are people that are mature. These are people that are no longer spiritual infants that are on spiritual milk, But now they've been able to come into the meat of the word and they are what? Continually led by the Spirit. Unfortunately, you know, if you take somebody that maybe they could be 40 years old, but mentally still they're locked into like a third grade level for whatever reason. They have a disability. In the same way, kind of parallel on that, spiritually speaking, there's people that even though they're, they're older in the Lord, they've been saved for many, many years, 20, 30, 40 years, even though that's the case, they're still spiritually infants in Christ. They've never matured. They've never come to sonship. And I think about how many people live out of harmony with the Lord because of this, and I'll come back to that later. But see, this is where the mixture in the anointing and the gifting comes in. There's been a mixture. There's been a mixture of the true and the false. There's been a mixture. I love the true prophetic. I have a man that we have come minister here at least once a year that I believe is a true uh, prophet of God, and he's very accurate, and I love it. I, I love his ministry. But I also very much dislike the false prophets. Hello? I don't like it. I don't like the mixture. And I'm not too concerned if people think that I should like the mixture or not. I don't. I want the real deal. I want it to be pure and I want it to be real. And what I'm seeing sometimes is in the body, you have people that have allowed their soul area to be influenced by the second heaven and they're giving you false prophecy. It's a Jezebel spirit, hello, and it's connected to that python spirit, which I don't have time to get into. But it is not of the Lord. It's not pure. And those people will tend to be so negative toward male authority figures, especially because it's Jezebel. But they're used of the devil with false prophecy, mind you, to bring people under their influence, to begin to lead rebellions against godly leaders, to bring division into God's uh, church. And they're being used of the devil, but it's a mixture. And I don't want 
some weird counterfeit revelation. I want the truth. I don't. I feel like that River of Life shares my heart in this, but I don't want some. You know, it's sort of a move of God, but it's also some strange spirit. I want a real move of God. I want it to be real. I want it to be genuine. I want it to be pure. And another thing I see is a mixture in the house of God. And this grieves me because we talked about things to do with worldliness. And I remember growing up in the things of God, we went to, a, you know, good churches that would preach the truth. But there was a time when people would not have felt comfortable with these things in the church. How many have been saved for a little while? And you know as well as I do that there was a time when people would not have felt comfortable with some of the stuff that's going on in churches nowadays. And I love the fact of, you know, people coming in and getting saved and getting right with God and all of that. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about people that are professing to be Christians but are bringing things into God's house. And it's in their life. But here's what you're seeing sometimes. People are coming into God's house dressed just as seductive and just as, as loose as the women of this world, and they're dressing that way right in God's house. You can't tell me it doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit. There's profanity. And I've seen even where people that, you know, are professing leaders have foul mouths. And I can show you in the Bible where God says that ungodly language grieves the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians. There's too much of a tolerance with alcohol. And let me give you something real quick. I wanted to give you a modern-day parable, but I need you to look this way so you can hear this. This is just going to be a modern-day parable. So let's say that many years ago, there was a, a group of people that lived along a riverbank. And every so often, every so many years, there would come, a, I mean, a torrential downpour and they had built up their huts and their village, and everything was around this lake. I mean, this is where they caught their fish. This is where they got drinking water. And they really had a beautiful village. But every so often, there would come a torrential rain, a torrential downpour. And because of that, the waters would come way up, and it would be suddenly. And the water would come crashing through their village. There would be some people that would die because they'd be swept away in the river. Homes were destroyed. There were some of their livestock and their herds that were destroyed. Some of their crops they had planted perished. And so the elders in the village decided, look, we can't keep doing this. We keep having to rebuild the village. So what they did was they decided we're going to build a huge wall like a barrier. And so they began to build up this wall and they secured it really well. And it, it's so secure. And here they go. They start rebuilding the village again. They're replanting the crops. They're, they're building back up the herds, and, and their village is built back up. And now the torrential downpour comes, but because of the wall, they're protected. So they tell their children why the wall's there. But generations start passing. The village grows. Now they're much bigger, much more populous. <clears throat> And the descendants are seeing a wall that their ancestors built that's now, it's an eyesore. The elements have war on it. Now it's somewhat ugly. And, you know, they just don't like it. They say, Why in the world is this there? And so the descendants didn't even realize why the fathers put the wall there. And so they think to themselves, well, our village has grown and we need to tear down this wall. And so they go and they tear down the wall, never really investigating as to why it was there in the first place. And lo and behold, a few years pass. They think everything's fine. The torrential rains come again. It's a monsoon that hits. Next thing you know, this huge... Um, tidal wave comes sweeping through their village some of their children are killed in it they many of them lose their house much of their crops are destroyed their herds are destroyed some of them and they suddenly realize why the fathers built the wall in the first place you know there's an there's a scripture in the book of proverbs which says do not move an ancient boundary stone that your father set up 
There's a reason why our fathers and mothers of the faith have built up some godly walls and they said this is the house of God and we don't need ungodly worldliness creeping into the house of God. But now you'll see all kinds of profanity, all kinds of alcohol abuse, you know, the tattoos and piercings. And there's even the occult that has crept into some places where you'll see children's ministries that they may be telling Bible stories, and I've actually seen this, but they'll use Harry Potter to mix in with the Bible stories to make it something supposedly interesting to kids. And you'll see the same thing with the youth. And you'll see that there's you know some kind of an occult thing, some vampire thing or whatever. There's yoga in the church. There's, uh, I've even heard of, of things like that where a church had like a well-known psychic come in and speak. But listen, I'm just telling you, as a man of God, and I can back it up with the word, I believe that, God has never been okay with mixtures. God wants his house pure. And I believe that it grieves the Holy Spirit, and it's why the glory of the Lord has left some places, and they don't even know it. You know what a scary scripture in the Bible is? That Samson kept playing around. He kept playing around. He was supposed to be a Nazarite from birth, but he kept messing around with that. He was defiling himself, and there came a point in time where the Bible says the Spirit of God left him, and he didn't even know it. There's places that the Spirit of God has left. There's a mixture in the house, and even though there may still be some residue of some anointing, and there may still be some giftings at work because the gifting call is without repentance, but there's also some strange spirit in that place. And it is a mixture. I've seen with great concern how an emerging church is beginning to come up with such an emphasis on being seeker friendly, which I'm okay with, with you know, trying to make things comfortable for visitors and all that. But such an emphasis on being seeker friendly that no longer is there any type of, re- of a requirement in the house of God for people to be born again or for people to repent of their sin. Hello? What good is it going to do to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul that if you have everything, you have a, the structure, the, all that's there, a lot of people, a lot of money, that, all, that so many of them are going to perish in the hell one day that never even really knew the Lord. It was a social club. I'm going to give you a couple more things before I close out. I remember there was a, a pastor, dear friend of mine. Actually, I'll, I'll say it was Steve Hill. And I was spending some time with him, talking to him. This was back in probably 2003. I was able to spend quality time with him, and I cherish that, especially since he's gone home to be with the Lord. But he told me, he said, a lot of this seeker-friendly type movement is really a joke in the eyes of God. And here's what he said. This, those are his words. But he said, he gave me an example. He said that there's a, a well-known minister friend of his that has one of these type churches, and they're, they're large. And he said that his friend told him, he asked him, he said, do you feel like everybody in your church is right with God and ready to enter eternity and go to heaven when they die? And he said, no, I don't. And Steve said, well, what are you going to do about it? Think about it. You know, it was interesting that Steve told me also that there was a young couple that came to that church where he was pastoring at the time. And they had been going to church for years at another church. And for the first time in years, they sat there in this church and they felt convicted because they had been living together, unmarried, having sex outside of marriage all these years. And for the first time, they felt convicted and came down and got things right with God. And then, of course, they went and got married. And Steve said it angered him because he thought all the years that they attended another church and there was never enough of the move of the Holy Spirit to convict them. There was never enough of the Word of God preached that they would be called out on that. Think about it. How many people sit in churches week in and week out? It's a social event but they don't even know the Lord. They're not even ready to enter eternity. 
And when they leave out of church, they live just like the world does. There's no difference. God's never been okay with mixture. Let me tell you something. The way I'm preaching tonight, we want a move of God. You better preach a revival message. All right, here's the last two things I want to talk about, our last three real quick. An abomination of God, Leviticus 18. I encourage people to read that. But there's three things that God clearly hates in the Bible. God clearly hates idolatry. The, I'm talking about in this category of idolatry, the occult. And I'm going to explain that in a nutshell here in a moment. And God also hates sexual immorality, any type of sexual activity outside of a husband and wife in the marriage bed is sin i don't know if you've ever had a preacher tell you that but i can prove it to you in the bible and that's just the way it is and also the shedding of blood or or eating blood those things god has always hated i'm talking about violent shedding blood like abortion amen all right so god has always hated those things and it's all through scripture And the Bible talks about how in Leviticus 18, it says that the nations that practice these things, that the land would vomit them out. That's an interesting scripture, isn't it? So let me explain in a nutshell what the occult is. And let me give you an example. There's a place in Germany called Chernobyl. And before some of you guys were born, there was a nuclear meltdown there. And to this day, you can't live there. And in Chernobyl, when they had a nuclear reactor melt down, dangerous levels of radioactive activity began to move out into the atmosphere. That's been, what, 30 years? It was in the, I believe it was the late 80s. I I don't remember the exact date when this happened off the top of my head. But anyway, it's been all these years, and it's still not really safe. And so people could go to Chernobyl... And they could take a little group there and they could think it's just fun and it's a big joke and everything's okay. And they could go there and they could spend a couple nights there and then leave and not really feel any different or feel like anything happened. To them, it was just a big joke. But when your physical body is in radioactive activity like that, it's going to affect you, whether you know it or not. It will affect you over a period of time. In the same way, there's people that have got mixed up with the occult and they've played with it. They thought it was fun and games. They thought it was just a big joke. But in the exact same way, they entered into a realm of darkness that even though they don't think anything happened to them, something did happen. And if they ever get into a meeting where the power of God is, it will come up so that they can be set free from it. All right, we've seen that many times here. But let me give you the, the occult in a nutshell. There's three branches of the occult, and I'm telling you this so you can stay away from it. Number one is witchcraft, which is the power branch. These are people that have learned how to do rituals, to put curses on people or spells, etc. This is like trying to control people. Number two is sorcery. This is the material branch. This is where people have objects in their possession that they own that's supposed to bring them power or luck or some kind of a favor or whatever, or wealth. Many times in African countries, someone will go to a witch doctor to drink a potion that's supposed to make them be able to have children, and that's sorcery. And then the third branch of the occult is divination. Divination is the information branch. This is where you have psychics and fortune tellers and things like that, seances. And so somebody may think it's a big joke. They get around with their little friends and they're going to try to perform a seance. They go to a local um, palm reader and they think it's just a big joke. They go in there and have their palm read and talk to a fortune teller. They don't realize, just like Chernobyl, they don't realize that they're affected by that. And that they need to be set free from the bondage. Many times, many times, I pray with people, and that's come up, and they got delivered to something. All right. I shared that because we've got to keep that stuff out of the church. Witchcraft, sorcery, and divination have no place in God's house. Amen? All right. 
So soulish revelation. This is what I want to close with right here. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15, Paul says that the natural soulish man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Did everybody catch that? This is something to really underline because the Bible says the Word of God can bring like a sharp two-edged sword, can divide between spirit and soul. But many Christians do not know the difference between their spirit and soul. They don't know to be led by the Holy Spirit versus being led by their own human reasoning. There's a difference. So the natural soulish man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. On the other hand, he who is spiritual judges all things. It is obvious that soulish and spiritual are in opposition to one another. This is important. We're talking about mixtures tonight. We're talking about mixtures. You can't have soulish prophecies and then have Holy Spirit prophecies. They're not the same thing. You can't have soulish revelation, which is really just from the person themselves, and then have Holy Spirit revelation. It's a mixture. And that's where a lot of the counterfeit comes in. The spiritual person is in tune with God, flowing with the will of God, but the soulish person is out of harmony with God. Please hear what I'm about to tell you. I've seen pastoring now. I've seen many times, not once, not twice, many times, where people are just not in step with the Lord. They're not. They're not in the flow of the Spirit. There's things that God wants them to be doing. They're not doing things that God does not want them to be doing. They're doing it. I'm not necessarily talking about sin. I'm talking about their life is just not in step with the Lord. Because they have never come to a place of maturity spiritually where they understand how to be led by the Spirit. They are led by their own human reasoning, a soulish realm which the devil tries to manipulate from the second heaven, remember? They're led in that area, but they're not led by the Spirit. This realm of the soul is where much false prophecy and counterfeit revelation flows and demons can traffic here masquerading as the Holy Spirit. See, the devil will try to pretend to be the voice of God. Jude 16 through 19 states that there are those in the church that are grumblers, they're complainers, they walk according to their own lust. And he concludes this, that they are sensual, which can translate soulish, not having the spirit. These type of people can appear very spiritual and religious outwardly, but they operate under something that's counterfeit. Hello? I cannot tell you the times that I've had to deal with things like this. People feel like they're flowing with the Lord, man, and they give you some crazy stuff that's not God. I'm going to tell you that I dealt with this last week, so I cannot dwell on it, but witchcraft in the church, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5.19 that witchcraft is a work of the flesh. And then Revelation 21.8-9, it talks about the dark arts. There are people that don't mean to, but in the church world, it picked up like a Jezebel spirit because of being rebellious against authority. You know, like, for example, they won't submit to their husband, and they won't come under authority at a church. And all of a sudden, their mind begins to be so flooded with negativity and criticism against a male authority figure. And they don't realize it, but it's a spirit that is trying to give them counterfeit revelation. Next thing you know, they're trying to rebel in the church. They're trying to get other people to listen to their false prophecy. They're trying to get a following. They're trying to divide God's people. And they're trying to buck up against godly authority. And all of that manipulation and control, they'll sit there and look at you and glare at you. They're trying to intimidate you with a look. They'll cry or they'll flatter you. They're trying to manipulate you. They'll give you all kinds of false words that are not God. Some of them really negative, and they're trying to speak a curse over your life. 
Y'all hear what I'm saying? If you allow that and you put up with it, and, and if, I'm going to say this, if you're not going to put up with it, unfortunately, it seems to be that me and other ministers that are friends of mine, if you're not going to put up with it, you're going to have to deal with the fact that there's going to be some people that don't like you. Hello? But if you do put up with it, here's what you can look forward to. You can look forward to a demonic mixture coming into your ministry. A python beginning to wrap around and squeeze the very life out of it. A wet blanket that will plop down and put out every bit of fire you ever had in that church. And all of a sudden, all kinds of hell is going to break loose in that church. And that's because a preacher put up with a little Jezebel and allowed a mixture in the church. And the Bible says, obviously this is a root problem of rebellion in people. James 3.15, what does it say? I read it earlier. These things are earthly, soulish, natural, soulish, and demonic. James said that. See, people that operate in this soul realm, they're connected. They don't realize it, but they're connected to the principalities and powers a lot more than what they think. God's called us to have a relationship with the Spirit of God in our spirit that is connected to where God dwells, the third heaven. What is God actually saying? Not in that second heaven where principalities and powers dwell. But James says that these type of people, they are earthly soulish and demonic see when they begin to be rebellious against leaders and they begin to get controlling galatians five nineteen that starts out in the flesh but it will become demonic quick this will ultimately result in word curses and ungodly prayers we need to be very careful the book of james says this james 3 6 when he states that your tongue can be lit by the fires of hell has anybody ever read that james 3 6 your tongue can be lit by the fires of hell how many people in the church world their minds have been influenced by something that's not of god they're not renewing their mind they're not testing the spirits they're not cultivating a relationship with the holy spirit and coming to sonship to maturity and so their mind now they're they're offended you know, their, their mind is thinking all these negative thoughts about the preacher or leader or whoever. Next thing you know, they're gossiping, they're slandering behind people's back, they're tearing up others. And what they don't understand is, is their tongue is now being lit by the fires of hell. And without even realizing it, they're releasing curses against the church and people in it, just like a little heathen witch. And the preacher tries to get up and he's trying to preach and go after God but it feels like he keeps wrestling against some unseen force that he's not understanding that's opposing him. Something is trying to resist him. It's like he's speaking, but his words are trying to come back at him. He's trying to move with God, but some mysterious force is standing in front of him like a Goliath trying to oppose him. It's witchcraft in the church. It's curses that are being released. I've heard of some strange stuff where so-called intercessors were praying for the pastor's wife to die for, so the, the pastor can marry somebody else and then the pastor's wife got deathly sick and almost did die and people that were really of God discerned it and broke those curses and she made a full recovery. I've heard stories like that. These people may call themselves Christians but they're being used of the devil just like a little witch would that you'd go out and pay money somewhere to put a curse on somebody you don't like. And it's right in the house of God. I'm preaching on mixtures tonight. And this is the last thing I just want to read over here. Brother Maldonado states this. I really like this. The spirit of witchcraft is at work wherever you find carnal habits and religious legalistic practices. The spirit of witchcraft seeks to replace the power of God. Now this is so common in the body of Christ what I'm about to read to you. And that by the grace of God, I'm believing that this will not be here in River of Life. 
you see where theology replaces the true Holy Spirit revelation. Hello? How many times? You can tell the difference, so I'll give you an example. Somebody that is just going to think in their own human reasoning, their own mind, hey, this sounds like a good idea. I'll go preach on this. Versus somebody that spends time with the Lord and the Lord says, I want you to speak on this. And they get up there under an anointing and speak the word of God. The difference is astounding. Number two, intellectual education has replaced true character. Bible schools replacing true discipleship. Jesus discipled people. He spent time with them. They saw the power of God through his life. They saw him pray. They saw they were discipled. There's a difference between that and sitting in a classroom and just learning a little bit of head knowledge. Psychology and psychiatry has replaced true discernment. Biblically, the church should have discernment and the power of God to see people set free. There should be in the altar time a deliverance of things that have tormented people. They should not be spending endless hours and endless money on a sofa sharing their heart with somebody that's just simply putting a band-aid on their problems. I'm not against them, but I'm saying that that's not the answer. When, if they could come into God's presence and power and somebody that's a real man or woman of God under the anointing can discern the problem and break the power of that thing and then be set free. Man-made programs replacing the leading of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. How many places just have man-made programs and it's just like a machine? It's just like a business. Eloquence of men replacing the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul said, I don't come with eloquent words of men, but rather I come in the power, the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith will rest in God and not man. And I said this last week, but I believe it to be true. You know, a lot of people, they grew up in church and they've never seen the power of God and they've never experienced the power of God. And because of that, they go to a secular college where there's a professor that did, for whatever reason feels it's his life goal and ambition to ruin the faith of everybody he can. And he's up there doing everything he can to discredit Jesus Christ and the Bible. And pretty soon their, their faith is shaken. But I would not have been too overly concerned with my daughter in that scenario because she has experienced God's power too much for herself. She has seen too many people healed. She's been healed of things. She's seen too many people delivered. She has seen the power of God, experienced the power of God. And that, that professor can get up there all day long and say whatever he's going to say. But at the end of the day, when you've really had an encounter with Jesus Christ for yourself, there's nobody that's going to take that. Also, administrators are trying to replace apostles and prophets. Like I said in other sermons, there's people that have been raised up by men, not God. There's a difference. It's not a popularity contest. It should be spirit-led. Human reasoning, human logic, carnal minds replacing living by faith. Too many places are run like a secular business. We can afford it, we can't afford it, whatever. There's no hearing from God and stepping out in faith. She's not there a lot of times. Motivational speaking, replacing the message of the cross. Rigid laws and regulations, replacing love. Entertainment, replacing the true joy of the Lord and the power of God. Human ability, replacing God's grace. And traditions of men, replacing the true word of God. Too many times, we see this mixture. What I want, and I know it's what River of Life wants, we want a genuine, true move of the Lord. Pure move of God. The Word of God is preached, and it's pure. The Spirit of God moving, and it's pure. 
the gifts in operation and it's really the Lord. It's pure. We want the supernatural aspect, but we want it to be really God. We don't want a mixture. When I was preparing this sermon, I felt the power of God, and I'm feeling it now. I believe that the Lord will really anoint messages like this. And I believe because of the mixture in many places that's being tolerated, the glory of God. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the glory. The glory is absent. There may still be somewhat of an anointing here and there and some gifts at work and all that. But the real intense move of God is absent. Why? Because there's a mixture. I'll say it one more time. God has never been okay with mixtures. And he never will be. He wants it to be pure. That's why he tells us, test the spirits to make sure it's of God. That's why he tells us to examine things in light of the word. He's given us what we need. But we just actually need to follow through and do what he said do. And keep out the mixtures. And I believe River of Life, if we'll do that, I'm telling you, I sense a rumbling. It's like smelling the rain on the horizon. I sense it. I just feel just a, a rumbling, a shaking in the spirit. God is about to break things open in River of Life. There's promises he's given us and God's about to open things up. And he's going to give us a harvest. He's going to open things up in provision. It's coming. But when this happens, I'm preaching this way in this series because I want people to understand that I'm a pastor that's not okay with mixtures. And I know that you feel the same way. I believe that. And we're not going to begin to be okay with mixtures down the road either. All right. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. I'm going to pray. The Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We